You are about to enjoy a presentation recorded at the 2021 Michigan Conference Camp Meeting held at Cedar Lake, Michigan. We pray that the Lord will bless you as you listen. Dear Gracious Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for the ability to have a camp meeting like this, that we get a chance to come and just, like what was said in the sermon before, just to drink from the fire hydrant and soak in all these amazing topics and things. But Lord, it means nothing if we don't sink it into fertile soil. And so we just ask that you open our eyes, soften our hearts, teach us the things that you want us to hear today, and help us to apply them to our lives. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. For those of you that were here yesterday, I gave a presentation that really kind of compared what a diamond is like to our Christian walk. Because I really believe it's always been about the same thing with God. There's nothing new under the sun. What, what God is expecting of the ancient old um, followers of him is nothing different than what he's expecting from us today. And I believe that he wants us to desire righteousness, to desire purity. And um, so that was what I kind of wanted to share with that message yesterday. Um, because as we kind of get down the road here with some of these messages, um, there is some very crazy things that I'm starting to see pop up in our world. And this is not, should not be a shocker to any of us. But I see a big problem. And my problem is, uh, as I engage and interact with young people, I feel like our discernment is becoming more and more difficult. Does, does anyone else share that? Do you kind of feel like there are so many things in our world today that are presented to our young people that are so blatantly evil that we should have no problem being able to decide whether that's true or not, but yet we have a big problem with that. So my purpose for this particular presentation today is really to show you that there are some ways that I believe that God can open our eyes and we can begin to, to distinguish discernment. So I want to share with you um, the dictionary definition of discernment. It's the ability to judge well. I believe this is one of the things that we lost in the Garden of Eden, right? Um, so much information was given to Adam and Eve. In fact, when you read the Spirit of Prophecy, did you know that the angels came and described everything that there was a deceiver and he was going to try and deceive them? They gave them the information, yet we are still here today. That's alarming to me. But as we've come down through time and humanity has been weakened over and over and over again, our discernment, our judgment is getting difficult. But praise God, I believe he's given us the proper tools to be able to tell the difference between right and wrong. I, maybe you guys have seen this on the internet. How, how many of you see the colors black and blue? Raise your hand. How many of you see the colors white and gold? Raise your hand. Now, isn't that very interesting? So those of you that see black and blue, raise your hand. Those of you that see gold and white, raise your hand. Now, that's very interesting to me. That's very interesting to me that you can look at the same photo, and yet we are interpreting this information 
completely different. Have you seen this? This is quite, this is quite shocking to me. Um, look at this photo here, A and B. How many of you think that A is darker than B? Raise your hand. If you think that A is darker than B. How many of you think that B is darker than A? Oh, wow, nobody in the room. How many of you believe that they are the same color? Oh, interesting. We have some very bright-minded people in here. Look at this. And I drew this. I showed my wife and my children this this afternoon, and they didn't believe me. I drew this box right here. It's exactly the same color. But to your eyes, you are able to perceive something different simply because there's a shadow in the picture. So your brain then registers those as two different colors, yet they're, they're exactly the same. Here's another example of this. How many of you believe that A is darker than B? Oh, now, you, now I got you thinking. How many of you believe that B is darker? How many of you believe that it's the same? You are correct. It is exactly the same color. But when you see the lines in a different way, one will appear lighter and one will appear darker. But if I took away all those lines right there, that's exactly the same gray. In fact, I had to rebuild this for my children because they did not believe me. They were like, no, Dad, you're, you're just messing with us. I said, no. The perception that we have, it's really interesting that two people can look at the exact same thing and interpret that completely different. I share this with you because I want to I start to begin to open up your mind. How is it possible that two people saw the same exact experience and one of them would call that experience evil and one of them would call that experience something good, such as in Jesus' day. The, the Pharisees were constantly calling what Jesus was doing was evil. 1 Corinthians 2 verses 10 says, To another, the working of miracles, to another, prophecy, to another, the discerning of spirits, to another, diverse kinds of tongues, and to another, the interpretation of tongues. All of us have been given different gifts in life. Some of us are able to grasp very complex things about the Bible and are able to teach it in a very interesting way. If you've ever seen some of those pastors, some of my favorite ones to listen to, I, I love the way that Ivor Myers sometimes comes at a particular Bible verse and, I, and it just jumps out at you. I remember seeing a, a, a Bible verse where he went through every book of the Bible and showed exactly the order that every book of the Bible is written in. It couldn't be written in a different order. It was literally telling the story of the gospel in the way that it was presented to us. And I was like, how did he see that? I believe that God has given each one of us gifts. Some people come up to us all the time and that know our ministry and they say, how did you see that in that movie? I did not be able to see that. Is there some special way that you're looking at it? I'll tell you, there's nothing special the way that I'm looking at it. The way that I'm able to see something in a movie is the more that I read my Bible, the more than I can see the problem. Does that make sense? In fact, I grew up with an incredible amount of Bible knowledge, and I saw none of the stuff in the movies until I picked up my Bible and started reading it. You don't learn to see a counterfeit by studying counterfeits. Does that make sense? 
In fact, you talk to anybody that works in that field for the FBI, they study the genuine. In fact, they know the genuine so closely that when a, when a counterfeit is presented to them, they can spot it immediately because that's how closely they studied the genuine. If you remember the story in Luke 2, 25 through 34, I want to point something out to you. It's very interesting. As baby Jesus came into the temple, he was presented as the custom was with any one of the babies. This is not an unusual scene that is happening in the Jewish culture. They've seen this day in and day out, day in and day out. And it always fascinated me that Simeon was able to look at that baby and immediately recognize there was something different than him. That was amazing. And I want to show you why. Luke 2.25, and behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and devout and waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Now, there's something interesting when the Bible gives you this kind of information, because it says that he was a just man. He was a good man, right? He's waiting for the Christ to come. So he's looking for it, and he's listening to the Holy Spirit. You see, the Pharisees knew Jesus was, or, or the Pharisees knew that the Messiah was around that time. I mentioned yesterday in the seminar when the wise men came to Herod and they said, where is this prophecy of this king? They quickly dug it up and they said, he's supposed to be born here in Bethlehem at this time. They were not ignorant that something beautiful should have happened around this time. But yet, they did not see that. But I want to point this out about Simeon. He's listening to the Holy Spirit. He's looking for um, Jesus to come. And it was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. He's listening to him that he would not see death before he had seen the Christ. So the Holy Spirit is revealing this information to him. It was not because Simeon was intelligent or saw anything um, and had some special gift. It was the Holy Spirit telling him this baby is the Christ. So he came by the Spirit to into the temple, and when his parents brought this child Jesus to him to do according to the custom of the law, the Spirit led him once again, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, you are now letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all the people. You see, Simeon knew the word of God. Simeon was familiar with the word of God. This is an important part, an important thing that I, that I cannot stress enough. There is some deceptive things that are going to start showing up in this world, and it will be an absolute roller coaster. I cannot stress that enough. How are we going to be able to distinguish? In fact, Mrs. White even makes comments, says, it will be of such a deceptive manner, don't even look at it. That's how deceptive it will be. And you know, I, I tell this to my, my, my young people all the time that I talk with. If you cannot distinguish a simple movie, how are you going to distinguish something that the devil has had 6,000 years to prepare for? There's no way. You have to know the Word of God. You have to know and understand how the Spirit of God works and be listening to Him and be ordering your life after Him. 
I believe that's the only way we're going to make it through this crazy experience that is just about upon us. As this is happening, the light to bring the revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel, and Joseph and his mother marveled at these things which are spoken. You know what's really interesting is as he's saying this, he understood the Messiah was supposed to be about. Someone that was going to bring light to the Gentiles. It wasn't just a strong man that was going to save them from the Roman oppression. He understood what the mission of Jesus was about. Salvation of all mankind. Then Simeon blessed him and said to Mary and his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and for the rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which will be spoken against thee. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. What a beautiful story. What a beautiful illustration of somebody that was so in tune with God that he didn't even understand completely probably these phrases that were coming out of his mouth, yet he was literally prophesying exactly the type of death that Jesus was going to die. I share that with you because I see things in our pop culture, in our modern world, that raise the hair on the back of my neck. Tomorrow, we're going to talk about spiritualism. So the purpose of this is not to get into a big, lengthy conversation about spiritualism, but I just want to show you something that is very difficult to explain. Watch this. I'm fascinated by magicians and some of the things that they're able to do. And the natural thing is always to be like, there's got to be some explanation how this is being done. There's something that's a trick here. But when you watch this, you'll see that... This is inching us closer and closer and closer to a crazy amount of spiritualism, and it's just thrown out there like it's just fun and games. Listen to this. Good evening. Hello. Hi, what is your name? Uh, My name's Nicholas Wallace. And what do you do? I dabble in the strange and unusual. So are are we about to be uh, frightened? Perhaps. All right, well, dabble for us. I will. Thank you. (laughs) Most people believe that the Quinty Hotel was haunted, but they were wrong. It wasn't the hotel. It was an inconspicuous piece of furniture. It was an old rocking chair. No one paid any attention to it until an elderly guest was found dead in the chair. It was soon after that the happenings began. Guests reported hearing whispers, the pitter-patter of feet running across the floor, and more death. Now, the death was always ordinary. There are heart attacks or strokes or car crashes, but they always happened to those who stayed in the room with the chair. The Quinty Hotel burnt to the ground a few years ago, and this chair is one of the few things salvaged from the fire, and now it belongs to me. So, who wants to have a seat? Not me. Gabrielle, would you like to join me up here, please? Hi, Gabrielle. Hi, Nick. Pleasure to meet you. 
have a seat. Right the way back, sit right back there, perfect. Sit right back on the chair like that. Hold your arms up like this. Take a deep breath in and out. Just your arms there, perfect. Just listen to my instructions, you'll be fine. So these strange happenings were always reported in the dark. So I'm going to uh, create a little darkness for you. We're gonna blindfold you, okay? Just gonna tip your head forward a little bit. I've also brought with me tonight an old doll found in a different part of the hotel. And this doll and this chair seem to have some sort of connection. So Gabrielle, just leave your hands where they are for a moment and be still. Right now, I just want you to be aware of this sensation right here. I want you to remember this feeling. The next time you have this feeling, you're going to very slowly raise your right arm into the air. the sensation return very slowly let your arms sink back down be very very honest raise your hand if you can feel this hand back down raise your hand if you can feel this back down. I'm going to do this one last time. This time, Gabrielle, I want you to raise your hand the instant you feel something touch you. I'm not going to speak now until it happens. Hand back down. I'm going to let you stand up and stand right up. Thank you so much. Before you even came out and I saw the setup, I was like, there is gonna be some ghost stuff happening. And then she sat in the chair and I got nervous for you. And then the doll came out. I don't know what that was. That was magic, that was death. I don't know what it was, but it happened. Obviously, I'm not making any sense right now. No, just confusion. Whoa. Y'all a ghoul. So I wanted to show you that because there is some very alarming things that are starting to come out in our public that are inching closer and closer. And I believe that all of this preparation that we've had in our church and all of these things that we've been taught not to play with magic and sorcery, not to play with witchcraft, not to be involved in any of that, there is a very, very, very good reason that was told to us. And I see all too often 
You, you guys know. I mean, we grew up with, with Disney, right? The little sorcerer, sorcerer's apprentice. It was cute. It was funny. It's getting worse and worse and worse. I believe that the devil has prepared the way by sugarcoating something that is going to get very confusing to this generation. Listen to this. The man who makes the working of miracles a test of faith will find that Satan can, in a species of deceptions, perform wonders that will appear to be genuine miracles. These won't be crazy things that, that look harmful or ghoulish or devilish. They will be genuine miracles that people will perform. Listen to this. Let not the days pass by at precious opportunities be lost by seeking the Lord with your whole heart, mind, and soul. Just like Simeon had a relationship with God, he understood the word of God. He was in communication with the Holy Spirit that was driving him. I believe that the same is for us today. The Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, if we accept not the truth and the love of it, we may be among the number who will see the miracles wrought by Satan in the last days and believe them. Many strange things will appear as wonderful miracles which should be regarded as deceptions manufactured by the father of lies. Men under the influence of evil spirits will work miracles. Now, this did not say that it's going to work things that will freak you out. Simple miracles. Isn't that interesting that she's saying, listen, we are not even to regard these things and, and, and that be the test of faith. Because if you're making your eyeballs the test of faith, just like we looked at the picture in the beginning, you can look at that image and see something dark and yet something else can come out of that image completely. Deuteronomy 13, 1 through 5, it says, If there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and he gives you a sign or wonder, and the sign and wonder comes to pass, of which he spoke to you, saying, Let us go after other gods which have not, we have not known, and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer. Listen to this carefully. For the Lord your God is testing you whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart or with all your soul. You shall work with... Walk with the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice and you shall serve and hold fast to him. You know, it's interesting. I see a common thread through the Bible. I see a common thread that God says, listen, sometimes he will allow things to come to us to test us how much we love him, right? In the old ancient days, that was true. It's nothing different for us today. He allows sometimes things to come in front of us, and he says, fine, I will test you whether you love me or whether you don't. Are you listening to my spirit? Are you hearing my voice? If I am the true shepherd, will you literally listen to me? He's saying the same thing to us today. Listen to this. John 14, 26 says, The Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, the Father will send him in my name, and he shall teach you all things. The Holy Spirit is so important in our final um, shielding of getting down the wrong track. I do not think it's by a chance that there is a huge question about the Holy Spirit at this point. This is an important topic. For all the young people, um, I'm fascinated with social media because 
A lot of young people get roped up into social media in a way where they say, you know what, I don't even spend time with movies anymore. Did you know that people in social media, whether they be on YouTube or Facebook or whatever, are actually now becoming more famous than celebrities are in the movies? Did you know that? Young people are actually following social media celebrities even more so than they are in, in movies. And let me tell you, there is a thing called an influencer. Have you ever heard of this? There's a reason why they make the money that they make. So this gentleman here, he wants to see if you are an influencer. He went to Los Angeles and he chose three of the social media influencers. And he said, if you're an influencer and you know how to influence people, do you think that I could influence you? And listen to what they say. It's very interesting. These days, you don't have to be a doctor or a magician to have power over people. Social media can give anyone the ability to influence the masses, and that influence can be quite profitable. So to find out if I have what it takes to be an influencer, I enlisted the help of three social media celebrities with over six million combined followers. Meet Griffin. What's up, you guys? Ditto. Hey, guys. And Andrew. Hey, guys, it's Andrew. What's up, vlog? We met at the World of Fruit, a selfie lover's paradise, for a lesson in influencing. So listen. Thought maybe we could scroll through my feed a little bit. Maybe you can give me some tips. For sure. We okay. can do it. Yeah. I asked them to be honest with me, and I regretted it immediately. What's the cover of this? Cover. Is it intriguing? Is it captivating? Are you getting an audience from it? Hmm. Hadn't thought of that. Okay. How's this? It's a hot day. Ice Ice Baby for yeah. that? Yeah. Remember that song? I do, yeah. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> I'd say we look tray chic, right? Very cool. Yeah. <laughs> He loves swings. My caption idea was, uh, you are getting very sleepy. <laughs> they did not hold back. This is kind of creepy. <laughs> caption is, uh, nothing like a tray of cold ones. Well, it looks just... a little forced, but like, it's not to the point where it's like, oh, you know? Oh. There was a lot of constructive criticism. I don't know if I love the filter. Yeah, the filter, that's exactly what I was thinking. And some not so constructive. And my caption was, he's channeling his inner Gallagher. For your age demographic, I think that's... <laughs> <laughs> I've always wondered, does being an influencer mean that you are less susceptible to being influenced? Yes. Interesting. Did you guys notice the uh, red cloth behind here? Yeah, I did okay. I was here a week ago, took a selfie. Oh. I'll give you guys a little peek here. Just wanted to, you know... What's your ad? appetite? Well, basically, it's going to be my first endeavor at being an influencer. Okay. Speaking of which, since these guys get paid to promote products, I posed a challenge. I gave them 50 unglamorous items to choose from. Gravy boat, toilet paper, whatever this is. <laughs> and gave them free reign of 20 different selfie-licious rooms to snap a pic. Before I showed them my magic, I wanted to see them work their magic. I'm going to give you guys five minutes to start now. Have at it. So he sends them out in this selfie lover's paradise and gives them the task with all of these things to take photos of themselves, gives them whatever room they want to be in. They take hundreds of photos and he brings them back into the room and he goes, I want to see the photos that you all took. Okay, so this is what's happening next. Selfie sticks down, come on back. Nice. Was it fun? It was, yeah, it was a blast. Yeah, it was yeah, I had a lot of fun. All right, you probably have hundreds of photos on your roll right now. Oh yes. yes. Oh yeah. yeah. So here's what I'd like you guys to do: is each of you scroll through everything you just took, 
and pick one photo with one product in one location that you think would make the most unique Instagram post, okay? Add a hashtag to it. Don't let each other see. And then you're all gonna post at the exact same time, okay? Ready? Post. Bones down. Is the suspense killing you guys? I wanna see it. Yes. Before we get to that, I'm just curious. Um, raise your hand if you chose a pick with the stapler. Okay. Hemorrhoid donut. First aid tape. A sexy coat hanger. Raise your hand if you chose the ice cube tray. Wait. Drama. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what? Wait. Um, I have questions. Wait. <laughs> like you. Hold on Wait, a second. <laughs> Let's see. Of the many places to take a photo here, raise your hand if you posted a pic in front of the mirror wall. The disco pineapple. Big banana. Raise your hand if you chose to take a picture on the watermelon swing. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can I see the posts? Yes, you can. I, Show each other. I don't like this. Go. Wait, are you kidding me? Yeah, what? I'm, I'm just, sorry. I'm sorry. How does this... Wait, what's that? Yeah, that's so interesting. It is interesting, yeah, you're telling me. Because I was here me. a week ago and I took I a bet, picture. Yeah, you were. Oh, okay. I wasn't sure if it really was influencer worthy, but turns out it was. No. The ice cube tray on the watermelon swing in front of my face. The hashtag was Trey Cool. What were your hashtags? I don't even want to talk about it. Trey Cool. I'm shooketh. Well, I bet you have the same question they have. So my question is how? The answer is simple. I wasn't here to take a lesson in influencing. I was here to teach it. So he goes and he shows exactly how he did that one week earlier. So if you think that you are not influenced by what you have, brothers and sisters, there is so much scientific data that is proving that they can manipulate you down to your action in a room. That should be alarming to many of you. That should be alarming to any young person that says, I can play with this social media for eight hours a day and it will not affect me. Yes, it will. And in fact, they make millions of dollars doing it. So you know what alarms me about that? What if they really want to influence you away from God? They do. You're right. You see, we are at the end of this thing. I think it's such a beautiful illustration that, that Jesus walked around and healed people and performed these amazing things that I would love to see with my eyes. Would you not like to like to see that? Would you not like, I mean, every single time I have seen a fake miracle healing, have you guys ever watched that? And in your head you go, yeah, right. Right? I'm, I'm, I'm challenging you, seriously challenging you right now. If somebody came up here and performed an actual healing, would that not challenge your thinking? Oh, you better bet it would. Because it would completely shock your mind. I don't even know if I have enough faith if I see somebody come up here and I go, I would hope that I would, 
But here, listen to this, this woman at the well right here, she didn't need to see a miracle. She needed to hear the word of God, and she believed. That's where God wants us. Do we really read the words that he says? Do we really understand when, when he says, like in Ezekiel, I will, I will take that stony heart out of you and, and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will cause you to walk in my ways and you will keep my statutes and my judgments and you will do them. Do we believe it? Do we actually believe that? I want to challenge you guys here today. How many of you are familiar with the god Baal? What do you know about Baal? I want to challenge your thinking because I did a little research on Baal. Because you know what? As I've gone around and I've shown people the dangers of of superheroes, I have battled young people through and through that say, you only see Satan in this and I see Jesus. You can see whatever you want to see. You can pull out of this story whatever you want to pull out. And for whatever reason, Scott, you are always pulling out the devil. I pull out Jesus. So I want to show you something. Can I show you something? With the god Baal, who constantly tripped Israel up over and over and over again. In fact, you flip through this Bible. It is nonstop. Israel gets Problems with Baal, problems with Baal, problems with Baal. That God constantly was nipping at God's people's feet. Let me show you who Baal was. This is just from Encyclopedia Britannica. It says there in the corner. This is not some obscure website. You can look this up on the internet if you want to. The God Baal was actually known as the Prince, the Lord, the Lord, Lord of the heavens. He was the God of the sky. He lived in the clouds and he was the one that made the sun rise and the, the rain fall down onto the ground and watered the plants. Please tell me in that where you see Satan. I see Jesus. In fact, this God, Baal, who was called Lord, Lord, listen to this. He rides in the clouds. That's what it says right there. And he actually ended up, um, um, he was called the Lord of the heavens. He ended up fighting a God that was called Mot. And Mot was a snake god who was in the, in the um, earth, who was basically the god of death. And so he came from the sky to fight a snake god in the ground, and the snake god ended up killing him, and he was resurrected. Please tell me where you see Satan in this. This is the seriousness of this matter. This is why I feel so passionate about this. Because no, 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 this is not just something that you see Jesus in. God said, have nothing to do with this God. Nothing. I don't care what parallels you can pull out of this. This is not Jesus. Now listen to this. He is the God that was the favorite son of El. I mean, the parallels go on and on. And, and, and now that I read my Bible and I understand who this God was, then I understand, oh, well, maybe the Israelites weren't so dumb after all. Maybe they were just tricked into believing that this was a story about their God. 
That's how smart the devil is. Listen to this. As he is the, uh, the favorite uh, son of El, and he is killed by this mot god and resurrected. Listen to this. The worship of Baal was popular in Egypt from the New Kingdom in the 1400s through the influence of the Ar- Armeans, Minians, who borrowed the Babylonian pronunciation Bel. The god ultimately became known as the Greek god Belos, who's identified with who? Oh, no, that's just really fascinating to me. You know why that's fascinating to me? Who is Zeus in our modern world? Do you know? Let me show you this. I'll come back to this. This is just a comic book website. This is not somebody that's trying to teach you anything about religion or whatsoever. In fact, Greek and Roman gods are literally repackaged and handed to us today, and Superman is Zeus. That's what they're saying. So don't you find that interesting? That here we have been tripped up again and again and again with following after all these ancient gods. And all of a sudden in our world today, we have this character named Superman that just, he just happened to come from another world down to our earth. Boy, he sure looks like Jesus. He's the savior. He's the this, he's the that. But here, I'll tell you a distinguishing difference between that God and my God. My God came to this earth to save me from my sinful self. Nowhere in Superman is he going to save you from your moral self. Nowhere. In fact, he's going to save you from the oppression of the day. That's exactly what all of these false gods did over and over and over again. Here's one of the writers for Superman. His name is Grant Morrison. And here, listen to what he says about all of these Greek and Roman gods. Characters, you know, Superman is Zeus, Batman is Hades, Aquaman is Neptune, and they kind of fit into the the pantheon of gods of a lot of different cultures. So, the- so these gods have 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 just been transformed, just been handed to us today, brothers and sisters. I believe that if we can't even distinguish something like this, when Satan steps on the scene as a cosmic Christ, do you think we will recognize that? The only way that you are going to understand and see who that is, is if you have a relationship with Jesus from the Bible, and you have the Holy Spirit impressing on you who Jesus' character really is all about. The only way you're going to recognize that. It's going to come at such a deceptive manner, it's mind-boggling that we in our world today, even in our Adventist church, struggle still with the ancient god Baal. Listen to what Jeremiah 51 says, verses 44 through 45. I will punish Baal in Babylon. I will make him speak. Spew out what he has swallowed. The nations will no longer stream to him. Even the wall of Babylon will fall. Come out of her, my people. Save your lives, each of you, from the fierce anger of the Lord. You know what's interesting to me about that language? Where else do you hear that language? You hear it from Revelation, right? 
Come out of her, my people. Come out of her, my people. You know what? We sit inside of this church and we say, you know what? I'm not part of this world system. I don't go to church on this particular day. I have nothing to do with this, this Baal worship, this, this Babylonian um, setting whatsoever. I'm in the right church. And you know what I see all the time? We have a different form of Babylon that gets into our church. We may not be worshiping on the wrong day. We may not be doing that. But, you know, a lot of us have seen a lot of the worldly entertainments. A lot of us are obsessed with those things. Listen, I'm only speaking to you out of sheer experience. I was also a, a Adventist that grew up waiting for that time to tick down on Saturday night so that I could literally turn on my television and watch that whatever latest and greatest show. I moved to Hollywood. I ended up going and, and, and taking film studies classes in school. I moved to Hollywood to literally do this for a living. And you know what's very interesting? When you go to Hollywood, where they do the Oscars, that whole area that they, that they walk through, the red carpet and all that, that whole part is called Hollywood and Highlands. I used to live right down the street from there. And if you go there and visit there someday, there is a plaque on the wall in the, in the base of the mall that's right there, and it says, this is the Babylonian court. It's taken after a 1912 movie called Intolerance, and it is a recreation of Babylon from that movie. You can historically look it up. That's why there's elephants in that, that whole thing. That is an exact replica of Babylon. And yet, we still struggle with the same things that old ancient Israel did. Revelation 18, 4 through 5 says, And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people. Don't be partakers of her sins, that you may not partake of her plagues. For her sins have reached unto heaven. I know the application of this is to a church, but I want to just challenge your thinking for a second. If we're watching immoral things, are we not taking on the sins of those immoralities that we are watching? There is a verse in Romans 1.32 that says, Who knowing the judgment of God, they which commit such things are worthy of death. Meaning if I steal something, I'm worthy of the judgment of stealing. But that verse goes on to say, Not only them that do that, but them that take pleasure in them are also worthy of that judgment. If I'm taking pleasure in immorality, I'm also in danger of that same result of that. I want to share with you um, some very interesting things called um, social conformity. I'm fascinated by the human psyche. I, I, I think it's very interesting when you study why do we do what we do, and especially in crowds. When everybody's doing something, are we more in danger to do that thing? And here's an example of social conformity. They've known about this for a long time. So this is a very simplistic understanding. And they've done this lots of times like in an elevator. If everybody that walks into the elevator, traditionally you would always stand towards the door of the elevator. But what if everybody turns around? What happens to everybody that gets in the elevator? So this is an example of that. The gentleman in the elevator now is a candid star. These folks who are entering, the man with a white shirt, the lady with a trench coat, 
and subsequently one other member of our staff will face the rear. And you'll see how this man in the trench coat <laughs> to maintain his individuality, but little by little, he looks at his watch, but he's really making an excuse for turning just a little bit more to the wall. Now we'll try it once again. Here's the candid subject. Here comes the candid camera staff, three of them at least. And uh, this man has apparently been in groups before. <laughs> now, here's a fella with his hat on in the elevator. First, he makes a full turn to the rear, and Charlie closes the door. A moment later, we'll open the door. Everybody's changed positions. <laughs> now we'll see if we can use... Now we'll see if we can use group pressure for some good. Now, in a moment, on Charlie's signal, everybody turns forward. Notice, they take off their hats. And now, do you think we... That's a simple illustration, but they've done it in many a variety of ways. And I just want to illustrate this for a, a, a little bit, because you have to recognize that we as a group, if we all think something is okay, we're all doing something, we're more likely to engage in that direction. And I want you to recognize that about ourselves, because I want to get to a serious point, and that serious point is we're going to have to be standing when everybody is bowing at some point. Now listen to this. This is a whole group in a, a doctor's office. Everyone is in on this joke, except for the one person that comes in. Listen to this. Take a look at this crowded waiting room. These people may appear to be waiting for the eye doctor, but they're actually waiting for the first test subject in our hidden camera experiment. And here she is, right on time for her 12 o'clock appointment. Hi, how are you doing? This woman thinks she's here for a free eye exam. Have you been here before? No, it's my first time. What she doesn't know is that everyone else in this room is working for us. They'll be with you in just a couple minutes. Today we're running an experiment on social conformity, and the test starts now. Did you hear that? These people sure did. It doesn't take long for our test subject to notice a pattern. Beep means stand up. But why? And if you were in her shoes, what would you do the next time the tone sounds? While you might think you make your decisions all on your own, when it comes to peer pressure, all too often, your brain is just following the crowd. It's it took three beeps 
for her to conform to the group. That's not very long. In fact, they've tested this in many different ways. This guy right here, have you ever heard of this when people will stand in a line, people will actually just get in the line not knowing what the line is for? So they're testing this right here. All he is is standing in a line that just says the line starts here. So people walk by and say, well, what's the line for? And he's just like, I don't know. I just, I just saw that there's a line here. So a few people are curious. They don't know quite what it's for. But really quickly, there starts to be a lot of people in the line. So then they wanted to test them and say, how far will these people actually walk? Like, can we take them somewhere if they don't know what they're standing in the line for? Now, look at this. These people have no idea why they're standing in the line. And they have a whole little place for them to, to go, and they have a little course for them, and they take them all through the course, and these people follow, not knowing where this line is actually going. They decided to test this. There's a line in the ground, and they said, if they step over the line in an interesting way, will everybody follow suit in stepping over this line? And so the first guy who knows what, what their experiment is actually doing, he jumps over the line, and every single person jumps over the line after him. This is called social conformity. And they've done experiment after experiment after experiment of these kinds of situations. And it happens always the same. We are pressured into not wanting to be the only person standing. Now, I have a question for you. What happens in a dangerous situation? What happens if that situation is actually really, really dangerous? What will happen? So what, what this experiment is doing is they rigged a fake hotel, um, like a hotel room. They rigged it with a fake fire. So they have all these, these smoke things, fire alarms and everything. And then they, they told people that they were showing up for a job application. And as they would fill out this application, they would begin to fill the room with smoke. Now, everyone in the room knows what's going on, and they wanted to test how quickly will someone actually get up if they think they're in a dangerous environment. Now, watch this. This hotel conference suite has been prepared for a focus group discussion on internet shopping. But all is not as it seems. We've been busy. The place is rigged with four hidden cameras and six concealed microphones. And psychology professor Dominic Abrams is watching from our control room, which we've built in an adjoining suite. Now it's just a question of sitting and waiting. Right, so this is a questionnaire all about kind of shopping habits and everything here. So I'll just move that off your chair. Our first participant is Mary Mizuno, a London student who thinks she's arrived early. What she doesn't know is that behind this door, there's about to be a serious fire in the hotel kitchen. Or at least the illusion of one, created by a smoke machine and some sound effects. What will she do? Ah, she's now noticed the smoke and is concerned. 
this point, she decides to investigate to find out what's going on. She's immediately taken responsibility for figuring out what to do. Mary does the sensible thing and evacuates quickly. She even leaves her bag and coat. As I've never been in a fire situation before, I tried to remember the kind of things that you're supposed to do, so I left my stuff and, and just went out. But Mary was on her own. This time, we've planted seven actors who were all in on the experiment. We've said to them, when you see the smoke, do nothing. Our second participant is Lauren Heffernan, also a student. What will she do? In this situation, she'll be following a script. The script is partly written in her mind. It's a script which is borrowed from things like sitting exams. Most situations like this have some element of expected or scripted behavior. But what will happen to her script when we make a slightly unusual situation very unusual? Nothing to start with, so we get her attention. Now, how long before she dashes out of the room? How long do you think she'll sit there? The first lady got up real quick, five minutes? How long do you think, five minutes, more than five minutes? Watch this, there's a clock on the wall. <coughs> She's checking increasingly to see what the other people are thinking, but who can she appeal to? The answer is nobody. She turns to the norm of the group, ignore the smoke. In a real fire, the people in this group would be in very serious danger by now. I was looking for some sort of reaction from someone else, even just the slightest little thing, that they'd recognise that there was something, you know, going on here. For me to kind of react on that and then do something about it, I kind of needed prodding. She's waiting for someone else to react. Why isn't anyone else reacting? She feels uncomfortable. She doesn't want to embarrass herself by taking the lead, taking action. But something is definitely wrong. Lauren stayed in the room for 20 minutes after spotting the smoke, concerned but immobile. The fire brigade say that if this fire had been real, even if flames hadn't burnt through the door, she would have died of asphyxiation in this time. In the end, we had to ask her to leave. What about him? I was surprised that I didn't do anything at all. I was just literally waiting. I just thought that someone else is surely going to say something soon. And because no one else did, I just didn't react at all. We tried the experiment ten times, and the same thing happened over and over again. If the person was on their own, they left quickly. If they were in a group of three or more, they stayed, rooted to the spot. The average length of time they stayed, 13 minutes. 13 minutes. Just because they didn't want to be embarrassed by getting up when no one else did. You know why they did this experiment? Because they actually had a, 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 a mall in England where they found everybody had time to get out of the mall, but there was this one section of the mall where nobody left and everybody burnt. And they couldn't figure out, what, why did everybody in the mall leave, but nobody left here? And it was in the restaurant. And when they started to, to um, realize what was going on, nobody wanted to be the first person to get up and leave without paying the bill. 
and they all lost their life because of it. Brothers and sisters, this is human nature. We have to understand how we are. And, and I share this with you because as, uh, as we get into some of these more crazier and crazier spiritualistic topics, these are films that are coming out right now. And this is a film about um, a, a little Disney character, and he's a little boy, except for he has a secret. And his secret is he's really a monster that comes from the sea. But yet he's really your friend. And everybody thinks he's this evil person, but he's really, he's just looking like a human. But when he goes into the ocean, he looks like a sea monster. What are we teaching our kids? These subtle little ways, if we can't recognize these and we can't see them for what they are. This is what the description is. His name is Luca. He shares these adventures with his newfound best friends. It's all fun and threatened by a healthy deep secret that they are sea monsters from another world just below the water's surface. Anybody's alarm bells ringing? These are things that we know are starting to come out. Spiritually speaking, there will be a time that we, I believe, we will see some very supernatural things with our own eyes. This is just preparing the way. I don't believe it's just Disney fun anymore. I believe that there is a deeper thing that they are trying to teach you. Many of you probably are not shocked by this. There's a Disney character called Cruella DeVille. And they just released a trailer for her. And so I just screenshotted this trailer because I want you to see how alarmingly shocking they can put this out in the public and nobody bats an eye anymore. Cruella DeVille is just really a play on cruel devil. And here's the lyrics that it says, who wants to be nice? I did not write this. This is on their trailer, okay? And it says, um, a life lived in penance. What is penance? asking for forgiveness. It seems like a waste of time, it says. The, and the devil has a much better taste. Well, there is always a line, and if you notice the top of where she lives, it says Hell's Hall, and it says there is, a, um, there is always a line, basically saying going to the gates of hell, and the front of her car says devil. And yet, Cruella DeVille says, but I go right to the front because I dress that well. Beauty is the only thing that matters. Embrace the darkness and be reborn. I did not write this, brothers and sisters. This is what's being promoted in our world as just entertainment. It's not entertainment anymore. I took a screenshot of this. This was actually some Disney shirts, and I have a fascination with shirts. Um, this was on the actual Disney um, website, and if you'll see, it says, lose your soul right here on the zipper. The other one says, avoid the light. The other one has a picture of a uh, devil's wings. One of them says, um, only one bite and your dreams will come true. One says, risk now, regret later. The other one says, bad witch's club. Be, why be a princess when you can be a queen? Those are some deep spiritual concepts that are being promoted in our world right now. 
2 Corinthians 2.11 says, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, we should not be ignorant of his devices. 2 Thessalonians 2.9-12 says, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders, right? The man of sin is about literally ready to step onto the scene, and it says, with all deceivable and all unrighteousness in them that perish, because they received not a love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them a strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. That's a powerful, powerful testimony to us to take seriously the things that we allow in our homes, in our lives, Do we hunger and thirst after righteousness? Do we? Do we seek with all of our heart the kingdom of God? Do we desire to have holy things in our lives? Because the world is just promoting darkness, foolishness, and unrighteousness. It is my hope and prayer, as you guys are here You have grandchildren, you have children. We need to inspire our young children to have a taste for righteousness. You know, I tell this story a lot. I used to absolutely love white buttermilk pancakes. Anybody like those? In fact, I remember going to my aunt's house and she would have whole wheat pancakes and they tasted like cardboard. I couldn't stand them. And then I got married. And bless my wife's heart, God has a funny sense of humor. I marry a woman who loves whole wheat pancakes. And I'll tell you what, she served me whole wheat pancakes. She served me whole grain food. And little by little, my taste buds were reformed into something wholesome and good. And now if you put white pancakes in front of me and give me a choice, I will choose the whole wheat pancakes every time. I believe the same is true for the things of God. If we get our taste buds so used to evil and wickedness and and terrible things like, you know, I don't even have to show you trailers or anything. All I have to do is show you a picture. And many of you I saw out here going like this. I don't even want to look at it. Praise God. Praise God. I hope and pray that that is the same experience for all of our young people, all of our people, anyone in our church. Do we turn away from evil and set our things on things that are good? Let's bow our heads. Dear Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. You're so patient with us, Lord. As we have seen in your word so many times, you, you dealt with Israel again and again and again, and you just said, please return unto me. Turn away from evil, and I will turn to you. And Lord, we want to give you our whole hearts. We want to give you our eyes. We want to give you our ears. And Lord, we want to give you our taste buds. Help us to be able to thirst and hunger after righteousness and to want to press closer and closer to you. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.
To listen to more of these presentations, you may visit the audio archives at misda.org slash audio2021 or search for Michigan Conference Camp Meeting wherever you get your podcast.